0: Another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I'm your host, as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is Chris Corfus of Slow Guy Speed. Chris uh, has over 55 All State sprinters and countless other high school All State athletes. Chris also has over 20 years of experience within the physical preparation profession. He has also consulted with NFL teams, Big Ten universities, Olympic teams, and U.S. special forces. On this episode, Chris and I discussed many topics, including Chris's background and influences, the good and not so good things that Chris sees within the physical preparation profession, Chris's training philosophy. How DB Hammer's training system changed how Chris trains his athletes. Chris's favorite methods to develop strength, power, and speed. How Chris adjusts his athlete's training based off body temperature and the weather. Chris's top resources and advice for all the listeners. And who would Chris bring to dinner if he could only invite five people, dead or alive. Guys, this is a really great episode and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Okay, Chris Corfus, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you come on to my podcast. I'm Thank really, you. really excited to have you on. Just uh, for the listeners, Chris, who might be too familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your background.
1: Uh, I, my name is Chris Corfus. I am a tr- high school track coach. I'm a history teacher. Um, uh, I own Slow Guy Speed School. Uh, I am the director of education for reflexive Performance Reset. Um, I run track football consortiums, which are a biannual uh, consortium where we bring in the best speakers from around the world on speed training and trying to merge or make multi-sport athletes with the foundation of speed, because really speed is the key to just about any sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what I do. I own Slow Guy Speed School. Um, I write articles for Simply Faster. Uh do podcasts with various people who like to listen to me for an hour. Um, yeah, I think that's it.
0: Great stuff. Nice and, nice and uh, straight to the point. I love it, Chris. So just before we dive into um, your sort of training methods and your training philosophy and training principles, a question I always love to ask every individual who comes on to the show is, in terms of the biggest influences on you, Who's been the biggest influences on you both professionally and personally?
1: I think professionally it's it's where you're at in your career. Like there's someone that gets you to a certain point and they've kind of served that role and then you kind of you know move along and different people influence you to do different things and make you think differently or question what you're doing um you know so when i was a young coach there was a chiropractor in oak brook illinois which i'm outside chicago um his name was phil clausen and you know he was the one who said you know you really need to expand and go look at new things and he gave me an applied kinesiology book which i tried to decipher at 24 years of age and said you know maybe you should go out and see louis simmons you know go out and spend a week at Westside barbell and so i said yeah i'll try it and so I went out and I saw Louis, and, you know, you learn stuff, but then you get to a point where those ideas only take you so far for what your ultimate goal is and what you're shooting for. Mm. Uh, so you bounce back and forth. Um, and when I was doing it, there was no internet, there was no email, there was no uh, web pages or anything like that. So you had to look in the back of like Powerlifting USA magazine and eventually get to know Louis well enough where Louis actually told me, you know, I don't have the answer that you're looking for. I mean, I, I can take you a certain distance, but you need to go look at these people. And he would give me a list of people that I could contact. And, you know, it's the old school write a letter type thing or find their phone number and call them up and hope they don't hang up on you type thing. Um, and so you just bounce around. Um, and at the same time, you never really protect a rock, meaning this is my one idea and this is what I'm going to stay with. I and mean, you always have to question what you're doing. And then hopefully you run into people who question what you're doing and say, hey, did you ever think about doing this? Or, you know, here's this new idea. Uh, and it, it gives you an idea to go research something. Um, and you're always questioning what you do because you see people run and you think, well, if this guy's getting faster, that's great. But what about these three guys? Maybe this isn't the Holy Grail. Or... So you're always investigating. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, at different stages in my career, there were different people. Um, I think like D.B. Hammer would certainly be one of them. For a while, we had quite a relationship going. And, you know, he certainly changed the way I think and trained. And then a lot of times when you find these ideas, you have to make that leap of faith where you have to go with it. I mean, you can't, you've got to let go of what you had before if you want to see if it truly works. And so I always try and compartmentalize, you know, different ideas. When I come up with a new idea, i got to kind of, take that other stuff and put it in a box and say, all right, if I want to see if this truly works, I got to go for it and and just jump in and not let my previous ideas or notions cloud or jade this new information coming in.
0: Great stuff, great stuff. And before that, we kind of get into, like, talking about your – training philosophy and i know some people don't like the word philosophy like they think because it's very subjective and some people go i don't have a philosophy i have principles whatever way you want <laughs> whatever way you want to word that just a, a question i also like to so ask it comes on the show in, in terms of the overall um strength and conditioning physical preparation profession whatever again whatever title you want to call it you know people just want to argue over semantics and you're just like who gives a shit just let's get on with the conversation uh what in your opinion chris what what are the the really good things that you do see within our profession, and then conversely at the other end of that spectrum, what are some of the not so good things that you see? And with the not so good things, what kind of solutions would you offer up? So the good, the basically the good, the bad, and the ugly. And with the bad and the ugly, life, what kind of solutions would you
1: put in place? I, I think the the good stuff is the willingness that people have to help other people. Mm. Um, you know. Sometimes there's ego involved, but a lot of times, a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, whatever you want to call yourself, performance coach, whatever, I mean, you truly have your athlete's interest, the best interest in mind, and you're doing all you can for those people. I think that's a great attribute for our profession is we are helping people achieve their goals or their dreams or whatever. And so that's kind of how I see my job is, you know, the people that I coach, it's all about speed and you know, I want to be that bridge to get them to their dream or their goal. And I think that's a, a great role you can have in your life is to help someone like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the ugly and the bad is uh, people's unwillingness to look at new ideas or, like I said, to defend Iraq. Like, this is what I believe and I'll argue with you and I will <clears throat> shade my opinion or... You know, mess with the results or whatever, so my idea is right. Um, so, I think while at the same time we're into helping people, we're also a profession that people really anchor on one idea, and whether it's working or not, they'll find a way to make it look like it's working. Um, and the reason why I say that is, you know, in our world, and I, you know, this is the time when I have college athletes come home. And they say, you know what, I didn't get any faster at my at my, at my school this year. You know, we did a lot of power cleans and squats and stuff like that, but I think I got slower. And I'll put them out on the clock and, yeah, you got slower. Uh, we're in a situation where people really want to hang on to their power lifting. And, you know, I can see that from a job perspective. It's easy to prove that you're doing your work and you're earning your keep by saying, all right, when we came in, we squatted. 300, but now as a team we went up to 75 pounds as an average and got better. And I get that, but you know, sometimes you have to separate what you've learned in the past and make that leap to really look to what that goal is for. It. And so, for example, the person I'm thinking of is a softball player and she's a great sprinter, great athlete, great base dealer. But they keep wanting to do power cleans and all this overhead squat stuff. And she goes, It makes me slower, so I just don't go. And so she gets into trouble. But their coach will not have the idea of, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna actually run to get faster. We're just gonna instead of saying power clean will make you faster. Well, no, it doesn't. It, it, <laughs> if that were true, all the people that have spent all the time in the weight room, everyone would be out running four, 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 five, four, six 40s. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that goes back again to the idea of correlation and causation, which I think is something that everyone needs to get some type of understanding of. Because yeah, the, uh, as in like so many times, it's because someone associates doing a certain what you know method or in terms of exercise with someone being like a performance measure with a, a performance outcome, and it's just that they then say, oh, if they do that, this will this will definitely have this. It's like that's correlation and causation, and correlation yeah. is way off. Like. Like it, uh, the, the examples I would use, like, hey, Chris, every time it rains over here in Ireland, which is a lot, <laughs> uh, I always see people use umbrellas. Therefore, Chris, umbrellas make it rain. And you were like, that's stupid logic.
1: Yeah. Well, I kind of got stuck in that when I was a kid. I went to the University of Illinois football camp. God, I must have been in seventh or eighth grade. And the strength coach came out, and, and this is back in the early 80s when there weren't many strength coaches. And he said, you know what? If you squat a lot of weight,
0: You'll run really
1: fast. Here's Mitchell Brookins. Uh, he was their, their first four four guy back when 40s just started to be a thing. Uh, and he squats 500 pounds. So I thought, well, I got to squat 500 pounds. So I started this five-year-long process to think that if I got to 500 pounds, I'd run faster. I mean, I started out with the old Sears bench, you know, with the leg extension on the back, you know, the, the really basic home gym.
0: With like the sand-filled plates?
1: Yeah. yeah, and I would yeah. load that sucker up and get my body underneath with that very narrow little space and get my head under there, and I'd pick up that weight in my basement, and I'd squat, thinking, this is the ticket.
0: Oh, I, used to, I, I used to do bicep curls over the uh, leg extension apparatus.
1: Oh, that's good thinking. Yeah, kind like, of like the preacher curl. Preacher girl.
0: curl, you know, Charles oh. Paulkin. Charles Paulkin, he, he'd be delighted. <laughs> uh, but I didn't get faster, though. I, I didn't get faster. It was, I, you know, My upper body got a little bigger, but I didn't get faster.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, along, not that I'm knocking Charles Falcon, but he went through a phase, and I don't know what he does now. Um, but I, back in the 90s, I saw him speak a couple times, and he said, you know, the key to being really explosive is wide grip deadlifts.
0: Mm, and so,
1: why is that? Because he had bobsledders and who can already sprint, because they, when they're looking for bobsledders or lugers or whoever, they're not going out and saying, let's find someone that's slow. And get them to do the bobsled. It's they're they're going out recruiting fast people, and it just kind of kind of hooked. But when someone like that comes out and says, you know, let's go out and do a bunch of wide grip deadlifts off of a box or something, you know, there's a lot of people that go out and try that stuff. People forget how specific when someone like that comes out and says, here's this idea, and someone asks them a question, you know, the impact that it has on down the and down the stream.
0: That's why it's critical that every everybody thinks for themselves. I always uh, I always say anytime I'm, I'm speaking to another individual or if I'm speaking to a group of individuals, I always say that, that there's only one thing I ever want any person to ever take away from interacting with me, and that is that all I truly want for every single human being in the world is to just think for themselves. Have, en- yeah. have enough courage to be your own person and to think for yourself. To take in information. Uh, you know, digest it, simulate it, and then come to your own conclusion. So I'm very much about empowering people to take responsibility uh, for and their lives. And Pretty much
1: themselves. That's, that's a great point. Um, but it, also to go along with that, be in the moment. Yeah. Know? Don't show up at a workout with a piece of paper of what you're going to do. Look to see what's going on, mm. and make decisions. You've learned all this stuff now. Apply it
0: based on what you see. Absolutely. Um, and we'll talk. So about, like, we'll actually talk about that when we get into into your training system. um, yeah, that's, that's fantastic stuff, and I completely agree that, yeah, the, the great stuff is obviously the help that we do. Like So right now, you're giving up your time to, to talk with me and help me understand more of your training systems and your time communicating with DB and all that type of stuff. And, and then also, I do agree that's, that the not so good is this this idea of you know coach's ego. And it's funny, yesterday I was speaking to a, a guy called Chris Bernard, who's a strength and coach in Florida, and we, we spoke about this concept of ego. And it's something that I, I've thought about a lot and it's actually something I've, I've meditated on a an lot. And I, I think I think people build up ego identities as kind of like comp they're like compensation or safety mechanisms. And what I mean by that is like the ultimate question we all have is like, shit, what's uh what actually happens after life? Like what is death? And like death is just this is this like big blanket of uncertainty in the back of our minds. And I think to add a sense of control in our lives, people cling on to certain belief systems, be them Religious belief systems political, ideological, or even coaching uh, philosophies that they have, and also the, the habitual habits they for so to add a certain element of control back into their life a certain element of certainty if you like sure, and then that that becomes an ego identity, and then if you attack that well then the, there's going to be just very poor communication among um people involved in a in a certain aspect or area that they're trying to communicate on. And so in in our case, obviously, with the, the coaches in our field, and then you get all this sort of back and forth and alpha male type activity and people calling each other names and calling each other out and this, that. And again, it's all to do with defending people's ego where, again, I think the mechanism behind this ego is just people wanting to have some element of control in their lives where really it just came to the acceptance that, listen, we're all mortal. We're all going to die. Just If we came to acceptance, you'd realize that all this superficial stuff about argument methods and having these certain belief systems – they're really just they're they're just they're not even worth wasting our time, energy on, or even worrying about. So, it's uh, I, I agree with the ego thing for sure. Well said. Now, Chris. So, you know, hypothetically, let's just say I'm a, I'm a good athlete. I was one time. No, that's a lie. I never was. <laughs> but I, I show up to you and I'm like, yeah, you know, hey, coach. Uh, um, I I really want to get better at my sport. Um and for, for just by the grace of of the universe you're like that's funny because I, I just have enough time to take on someone who's very mediocre in terms of good athlete, so you're in luck, uh so basically I'm trying to say is if I showed up at your doorstep, um what what happens what's the process what goes on from there what is there an assessment is there an intake we we'll sit down and talk and then from that how do you go about building a a training system so I suppose the overall uh question here I'm so long winded I apologize. People listen, okay. people listen to this are just like, shut the fuck up. Uh, what, what is your overall training philosophy, I suppose? Or ha- and what does that look like with an individual? So you show
1: up at my house, um, in my house. My gym is in my house.
0: Um, <laughs> I call the cops. <laughs> that's the way you say
1: it. you show up at my <laughs> well, house. That's like, okay, because oh, yeah, yeah. the police station is actually three houses down from my house. <laughs> and certain people show up, and the police stop and watch and hang out. And... Uh, so that's okay. If you call the cops, uh, they're already here usually.
0: Okay, um, that's great.
1: So I take you out and I'm going to, well, first I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to see who you are, what, what you do, doing. And most importantly, why are you here? Why'd you come into the stranger's house? Mm. You know, I have two really big dogs. You've braved the dogs, you know, what, what brings you here and, and what, what can I do for you? And we kind of start with that conversation. Well, you know, my first step, you know, and this is important because I always make parents come the first time, or as often as they want, so they wow. can hear the dialogue and all that. Um, and because most of my clients are high school kids, yeah, um, yeah, and I do have older kids and stuff like that, or adults too. But uh, and it's important that you kind of pull the parent out of the equation because sometimes the mom or dad will start saying, "Well, this, this, this," and I said, "No, wait a minute, I want to hear what they have to say." Or I'll tell the parents now, you stay here by the tree. And we're going to go over here, and as we're walking out, I'll ask them and, and find out what the, what they're here for. What what do they want to get out of this? Um, then I have them run. I film them from the front and the side. Uh, then I take them down in the basement, and uh, we jump. I have a vertical mat, vertical jump mat, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and we get numbers, so we have a starting point. Mm. And. I don't do running i don't time the running initially because i don't think that's fair that someone shows up with horrible form and then i make a couple changes and they suddenly get faster i want to see how fast they get when i get their form fixed um so then we look at the video together and i explain what i see and you know there is hope that not everyone's built to be slow speed is not a genetic thing all the time i mean there's genetic elements to it yeah but you can certainly get faster mm-hmm. um and so then i take them through a, a rpr reflexive performance reset where i get their body working the way that i want it to work uh, where a glute is a glute and, a, and the hip flexor is a psoas and, you know so i know the chains are working properly uh, and then i start giving them homework so i We look at stuff, and it's usually something like their ankles aren't working well or their hips aren't working well or their foot strikes out in front, and I give them homework, Um, and then we schedule them to come, and uh, we'll go through some basic stuff initially. I have a set group of exercises that we warm up with. It's mostly all foot stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, ankle rocker stuff to make sure your feet and ankles are working properly, and then we do some hamstring, butt, hip stuff, and then we get to work. Uh, usually the first thing I have them do is I have them run over a mini hurdle, a series of mini hurdles. Um, and from there, I figure out what we're going to do that day. Um, I can see them move and say, hey, today we're going to really focus on your hips. You're, you're still crossing over a little bit. Let's work on that. Or if we're doing starts, you know, what, let's work on a wider stance when you're coming out of a hole. And uh, so, like I said before, I don't know what people are doing when they show up. I, I want to see them move on that day because I don't know if they went to some camp or, you know, you know if someone just came back from OTAs or, or any of these different things. I want to see what I have on that day, which may be completely different from when, when I saw them the previous time. Mm. Um, so it, it kind of goes with the flow. And after they've been here a while, and I know their move, body moves a certain way, the way I want it to move, um, then I kind of put you into a group and we'll have like a speed sessions or agility workouts or acceleration workouts or first step quickness workouts and uh, take people through on that kind of stuff.
0: Great stuff. So could you could you maybe get into then the sort of how you think about the training process because from your podcast you're doing with Dan on Joel Smith's um, um, Just Fly podcast, it – um. You know, it sounds. It well, not sounds. It is so far removed from the sort of conventional paradigm that people have. And I suppose the one obvious thing is that most coaches are always going off a script. And by God, if it says that on the script, we're doing it. Whereas it seems from the training sort of process that you and Dan have, it's very much as you said, dependent on what the athlete is presenting to you on that given day. Um, and and you kind of spoke about you know that. In terms of how much of any specific um physical capacity or quality that the individual does or how much of a particular train stimulus the athlete does that they depends on how ready they are in terms of their readiness so maybe could you get more into like again like myself someone who has really no clue about your train system like how would you go about explaining that
1: So you want me to explain how I know what they're ready to do, or? Well, I
0: I suppose maybe like again asking the question like so. You kind of summed up a beautiful what a session may look on a day to day basis. But if you were just asked the question like, how do you view the whole process of training? Like what what is it you've seen? I know that the nervous system definitely is something that's very big. Is is it in the backbone of the system?
1: Sure. Um, So basically, most people come here to run faster. Like I don't have a bench press. I don't have a squat rack in my gym. I don't have that kind of stuff.
0: You do have a lot of guitars, though.
1: I do have a lot of guitars. (laughs) My wife says way too many, but I say I'm only halfway there.
0: Uh, I like it.
1: I like it. Um, So you got my train I thought there said guitars and I kind of lit up kind of like the dog when you hear squirrel uh-huh.
0: we'll, we'll talk more about music this, this, these, my podcast goes everywhere pal. but now we were talking basically like if you were if you have to explain the, your top process of training to someone who never heard of your, your training methods before
1: so basically my goal is speed uh, it's the ultimate goal okay. it's the ultimate goal and so that's what everyone comes here for and so speed is a Gordian knot there's a thousand little strings that feed into what makes you fast. Um, and it, depending on how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, you know, I'm going to start working on some of those strings, the strings that I think are blatantly obvious to me that need development that will help you get to that next step. Um, you know, we we'll even go as far as vision. Vision has a role in speed. Um, your body is going to, Here's my example. I did. I did this to my son. So I, he's he's a middle schooler. So he's uh, he's 13, and so I filmed him from the front. And he had a certain gait. And I said, "All right, Cole. For twenty dollars, you're going to do two sprints with me, but you're going to wear this blindfold—a real blindfold, not one that you can sneak underneath the bottom and see underneath and kind of look. I need you to be completely blindfolded. And if you crash, it's worth the twenty bucks. You fall all the time doing your stuff anyway. You know, he's into trampolines and parkour stuff and say so you fall all the time anyway so let's just try it it's 20 bucks all right dad i'll do it and so he, first one he runs he's got no blindfold on here it is put the blindfold on okay cole go and he runs and his form completely changed okay that's okay you call you owe me one more it's 10 bucks a run he goes all right i'll do one more dad and so he does another one and this time, I kind of moved the blindfold, so he had a little bit of a crack coming out of the bottom, so he had some light. And normally, people run to the light, right? And that changed his form. I mean, completely different. Foot strike, uh, toe off, uh, arm swing, hip movement, the whole thing. I got it on film. I'm going to write an article about it when I have time.
0: So just for you go on, he made $30 from doing two
1: sprints. 20 I didn't pay him for the unblindfolded
0: one. Oh, I, I, thought, I thought he did a, an unblinded. 20
1: for two. 10, 10 bucks a run with oh, the blindfold.
0: Okay. I thought you I thought, I thought he said he did an unblinded, then a fully blinded, then a partially unblinded
1: one. Yeah, there's a little light in the bottom of the second one. So yep. he got paid for the ones where he wore the blindfold.
0: Cool.
1: Oh, he does anything for money. I got him to quit baseball for 200 bucks.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: He just played right field and sat on the bench, and he just wanted the uniform. I said, cool, you got the uniform. I'll give you $200 if you don't play anymore.
0: Well, to be honest, uh, I'm going to say I'm very here, but being an Irish person, baseball bores the absolute bollocks out of me. Well, ha- it bored
1: it. me, and it bored him, and he thought he had to play because his friends were playing. I said, no, that's, don't do that. Okay, right. If you don't like playing, here, here's $200. Now I don't have to go sit at all those games. Uh, and I know that's not great parenting, but it's me. I'm not a perfect parent. I'm sure I'm scarring my children somehow, like all of our parents do. But uh, uh,
0: we're all—I all said that we're all fucked up by our parents. We're fucked up by their parents.
1: It's—it's it's a cycle. That's right.
0: And it's all, genetic. And, uh, uh, <laughs> it's my genes. All you uh, listen. All you can do is just have unconditional love, forgiveness, acceptance, and just yeah, get, and just get on with it. We're we're all in this together. All right. So this this I'm interested to see this article with the with the blindfold. But anyway, so so continuing. so
1: anyway, my point is this especially with soccer players, you, you chase a ball, Hmm. right? That's what most kids do is they chase a ball and you don't want that ball to move around. So, and I've got great video of this too. Some soccer players, kids who have been playing since they were like three or four, their, their mechanics move so their head doesn't move so they can track that ball constantly, but their body will move. So the head doesn't bounce. So by changing vision and how, and how your vision works, you can change gait. And I even did an experiment with this lady in uh up in Northbrook. She's a vision person, uh, does crazy stuff. I mean, really advanced stuff. And we were playing with she, these lenses that she has that change the way that bend light and change how you intake information. And so she puts them on and there's this line that you walk and it changes your foot strike based on how your body perceives where the ground is. Mm. So I don't do much. I don't play much with vision with people because it freaks them out. Uh, but back to the basics, um, you know, basic things for me are how well does your foot work? How well does your ankle work? And how well does your hip work? Cause we've all seen people that run really fast that are jacked and they can squat a gazillion and then you've also seen guys that don't look like much. They weigh 135 pounds and they can fly. So what are the attributes that they all have in common? Well, it's first of all, how stable, how, how well your foot works on the ground. Like, do you hit out in front? Do you heel strike? Are you getting a clean, clean strike, a hard strike? And when that foot strikes hard, how well does your body hold that force? I mean, do you collapse and your hip kind of comes out and your torso bends. Or do you hit stiff and you can just kind of bounce along? Um, so those are the two things that I really focus on with my beginning runners. Um, and the way I do that is I make you run many hurdles over a line. That way they have a target of where to reach and put their foot.
0: Is, is, that, is that similar to like wicket runs?
1: It's a wicket run. Uh I don't know where... I call them mini hurdles.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, so do I. The reason I call them wickets is when I was at Altus, they all to stay, I'll just call them wickets, and I'm like, you mean the mini hurdles?
1: Yeah, I don't know why... Stu, Stu likes to come up with crazy stuff sometimes just to be kind of that philosopher guy.
0: Uh, well, actually, they, in fairness, they were called wickets before Sue started to use them, because so when I... I was like, I never heard of wicket runs, and Sue was like, neither did I. I got them from Andres Bean, so he was like...
1: <laughs> so... Uh, and so I can change where that foot goes, and I can challenge that hip by, you know, making a run with your hands over your head, You know, putting a water bag on your back. Um, I'm sorry about the dog barking. Sorry. Um,
0: I can I'm uh, tired to hear him anyway.
1: A big, we uh, up to 40 pounds of, a, you know, like an Olympic bar over your head. Uh, I'll change the height so you'll come down on an elevated mat, you know, an inch or a half an inch. Um, one thing that I started doing now is I got really slick mats, like kid mats. So when you hit on the ground, uh, if you're spinning on your foot, that mat is going to spin on the ground because when you go to torque and pull to try and get to your big toe, that sucker is going to spin. And so you think you're going to fall. So you're going to get the athlete to learn how to get that foot to hit solid on the ground. Mm. And now what I started doing I just started this week and again I filmed it I'm starting to, I'm learning how to film everything now I normally before I, I'd never bring my phone out when I train because I'm I like to be in it I don't want to be distracted I try and immerse myself in it uh, but I've realized I got to bring my phone out so I can videotape um, I have a 1080 sprint which is a phenomenal machine
0: yeah
1: um, and I am um, to try and challenge the timing of the sprints and get you to get off the ground faster. Uh, I'm towing people over the mini hurdles at about nine meters per second. Wow. Uh, And if you collapse on that hip, you're you're not going to get off the ground fast enough. And nobody wants to trip, and they know that there's mini hurdles out in front, so they get that foot off the ground faster. Now, I don't know what the long-term effects are, but immediately after we'll go out and run a fly 10, and there's some pretty good potentiation there from doing that.
0: And so in terms you say speed is your ultimate goal there and so and the and the mini hurdle runs are very linear, do you do anything then in terms of multi directional type stuff? Oh
1: oh sure. Um You know who you know whose multi directional stuff works really well is uh Franz Bosch's stuff in his
0: second book. You know, just just, just for you to go on there, it's so funny you said because in my notes I just wrote with. Just wrote dynamic systems theory, and I was just going to ask you about that. So I was going to ask you about Franz and what do you think of his stuff because it's, it's, it sounds like there is some kind of carryover there. And even, as you said, put the barbell over the head while you go through the mini hurdle runs. We'll continue. So
1: um, he has, you know, his attributes or attenuators that, you know, the things that you need to have when you move that everyone has. Um, the foot from above principles a great. And, again, we use the slippery mats to do that. Um, and also putting a mini hurdle in front of your, where you want to cut gets them to put their foot from above. Um, again, the changes are dramatic once they get it down, and it, it happens fast if you cause them to fail. So his, I think, in my opinion, and I know people disagree with me, but I don't care. Um, the idea that your body learns and you have to get them to fail before they learn is really uh, – a a really good thing. And you think about hurdlers, you know, I coach tracks, so I watch and I'm not knocking other coaches here, but
0: mm-hmm. you'll
1: see people do hurdles and all they ever do is run over the hurdles. And they wonder, well, so-and-so still looks about the same as when we started. They've gotten a little bit better, but they're, they're you know, they're still not doing this. And you wonder, well, what have you done to challenge them to force that change? Except go over more and more hurdles. Well, what about the Beatles rule? You know, they played for 10,000 hours before, they got good. So we don't have 10,000 hours. We got a couple months here to get better. Uh, so you really got to challenge that system to make it learn uh, from a physical standpoint. Um, I think that the hip lock and uh, you know, getting that knee off the ground and planting off one foot, especially when you're training, it may not happen to game, but the idea that you've only got one foot on the ground saves you a step when you turn. Um, we do all that stuff. And then, Add a water bag, add uh, add something to challenge that step so the weight direction is differently, so you strengthen that pattern. Um, And people say, well, some people say, well, you know, Coach, you only do individuals. I don't. I I have whole football teams. Um, So I have 90, 100 guys that we go through and do this. Mm. Um, And you set up stations, and you coach what you're looking for, and that's what you, you challenge And they say, well, Coach, well, then how do you do the individual stuff? Well, you watch. You watch your group and you say, all right, a good percentage of these kids are still showing this. We need to make a challenge. And so hopefully you'll make that change and, you know, 60% of the group makes that improvement and then you kind of peel it away. So, again, even though I have 90, 100 guys show up at my football workout, um, I'll make changes right there. We'll go through and I'll watch them run through and you kind of get a a ballpark figure and you're going to make changes right there at the moment and say all right everyone pick up a, go get a weight out of the weight room everyone swing that around your head make halos over your head while you're running through and doing your agility
0: do, do, when you have a certain athlete for per, a certain period of time and you start to see maybe certain trends in their physical characteristics um does that then lead you to to like kind of put that athlete in a certain bucket or postal code, as Dan Fast says, like you start to build a certain profile towards that of what their system generally needs from a day-to-day basis, even though it's still going to fluctuate all right on a certain bandwidth. But like, after you, do you start to see trends around this? Like this athlete's system responds usually better to this type of method versus this with this athlete.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, overspeed training is a great one. There's people that don't respond to overspeed training,
0: mm. um,
1: but there's people who, it just jacks up their nervous system, something fierce and they come back and they get faster every time. Um, you know, so absolutely, um, so it's kind of like you're the, the popsicle stick and you're sending it down a stream. Once you have this path. Yeah, I agree with that, that you know that this is what this person does. Um, and you want, you know, everyone says, I think Louis Simmons said, you know, strength and the weakness. Yeah, that's true. Um, but we're not power lifters. You know what? (laughs) <laughs> it, we're, we're much more dynamic than a power lifter. Um, so I want to stay with what works with them and then maybe do one exercise that might help, you know, something that I see that's kind of off yeah, and, and throw that in there as well. Because like Fran says, um, you start changing exercises and you add new exercises into your, your cycle. It's going to change the whole workout and you're going to have a neurological impact on what's going on, whether it's fatigue or recruitment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So anytime you change it up, you're going to create a new workout. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that's why it's important you watch what happens when they come back. Now, I know I can't control how late they stay up and how much video games they play and what their crappy diet is, but, you know, you like to think that your workout had some minor impact from week to week or workout to workout, and then you – kind of watch and see what changes have been made and then you go ahead and make that change
0: okay so obviously you know you you uh, and uh and dan have been very well associated with no sport and db hammer so i suppose it would be remiss me not to sort of bring up db now and, and ask like how the whole relationship got started so can you maybe just and you can just continue to talk now for the next half hour or however how long like kind of get into maybe <laughs> that whole history with db hammer and the kind of influence he had and how he changed your whole sort of uh, so, way you saw the training process. So if you just want to get into that. Again, this is the beginning
1: of internet stuff um, for almost 20 years ago. Uh, and he wrote an article on elite fitness, I think, or he posted a blog on elite fitness back when people actually looked at message boards mm. and uh, he had some interesting things and talked about neurological shifts. And that's something that Dan Fichter and I had been really interested in. Dan Fichter and I are, Uh, internet buddies back when the first message boards came out, we were on the same ones. And eventually I personal messaged him or something like that and uh, said, Hey, or maybe he sent to me first, but you know, we kind of think along the same lines. and We're we're both teachers. We're both coaches. And we, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to drive out to Rochester. So I drove out to Rochester and Dan said, well, why don't you just stay at my house? You don't have to stay at a hotel. Mm -hmm. A complete stranger. And uh, we kind of hit it off from there, and that was a long time ago. Um, So anyway, um, we emailed DB. I think somehow we got his email. And we said, you know, we would love to pay you for your time. Um, How much per email? And he gave us a price. And we said, you know, Dan and I were so thirsty for knowledge and learning stuff. You know, he could have said any amount of money. Because I remember a conversation we had. We were talking about, what if he asks this much? And Dan's like, Yeah, I think I can pay that. And I said, yeah, I think I can pay that too. And so we were were ready for this huge sum. and uh,
0: Like you thinking thousands? Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's what we were ready to pay.
0: Remortgage the house?
1: (laughs) That's what we were ready to pay. Uh, Honey, Um, I've got something to tell you. So he came up with a price, which was more than fair. And we would send him emails or videos and stuff like that. He would come back and say, here's what I see. Uh, here's some workout ideas. Here's your concept. And uh, about the same time, he came out with a book, um, which isn't, isn't published anymore. And we developed this relationship. And you know, Dan used to say it was like every morning was Christmas when you'd wake up in the morning because he was in Germany. And you would send the email the night before. And then you'd wake up and there was, you know, this response to this question that you had. And then Dan and I would email back and forth about what we thought and plan our next questions
0: and, and who, you know, who would ask the questions would it always one of you guys or would you both share the responsibility
1: we rotated okay so i would be every other day and so we would actually get two athletes or two things going at once so we wouldn't be the same
0: and, and, so and did, did db knew that you two were in this together though, did he?
1: oh he figures it out yeah That's because yeah. dan is so impatient that he couldn't hold the question and wait for me to ask He goes, Chris sent me this email and this said this and I got to know this now so anyway he gets to a point where he says you know what guys how about you do this you guys start a web page we'll call in sport and we'll start a message board and see who else gets into this you know community and change, exchange ideas and you guys can write articles and we'll and articles will be like for money you know for for emails exchange with questions with him and maybe you guys can write articles on the questions that you're asking and we said good and so we set up this web page which neither one of us knew much about and it went going it was going really well for a while um someone had told me once and i don't know if it's true but it was the number one fitness website for about a six week period of time on the internet wow. now, i know this is back in 2004 2005 but uh it was big and it got so big that someone We don't know who, really. We think it's from Russia, but everything's from Russia these days. Uh, Someone started putting, you know, nude pictures and pornographic pictures up on the site. And we're both high school teachers. And that doesn't go over very well if you're a high school teacher. Um, And we spent more time fighting people that were, you know, kind of wrecking it. It just wasn't fun anymore, and we didn't want to risk getting called down to the principal's office, where they say, "So we know that you run a website, and one of our students was on it, or a parent was on it, and there was a picture of this, and there's this naked lady, you know that type of thing." You don't want to be in that position as a teacher.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So we killed it, and then, uh, and then shortly thereafter, DB said, "You know, I just don't have time for this. This is too much on me." Um, well, we're done, and then we moved on.
0: How how long ago was that, Chris? Two thousand six, two thousand seven. And have have either of you guys heard from DB since? No. Wow. So it's like so mysterious. Just in terms of the book, the guys who edited, like, did they know DB? Jer- Jeremy Diamond and Brad Mel.
1: Um, I think they've. We talked to him on the phone once, and I think uh, they've talked to him on the phone, but I don't think there was ever any personal connection.
0: Yeah. I don't
1: know that for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think so.
0: so Not that I know of. Get, getting into the book, because uh, as I was saying before we hopped online, I actually got a copy of Buddy Morris. Thank you, Buddy. I uh, actually got Buddy's actual copy, as I was telling you, too. So all of Buddy's notes are scribbled on. I can see copy for me. But uh, in terms of some of these methods, I've only just scanned your the book because I just that's, like, like probably most people listening, you have a stack of books that you're getting through. But in terms of, um, like, this neurodynamics training, like a neuro, and it says your neurodynamics one hundred and one. Like so, like again, w- what what is neurodynamics training? Like again, could you explain it to, to a newbie?
1: So there's there's three ways your brain thinks. It thinks fast. It thinks power. It thinks strength. And so his philosophy was that you don't want to mix those together.
0: Oh, cool.
1: if you want to, if you are working on strength, then you work on strength. So don't go squat and then go do a sprint because you're confusing your nervous system. Wow. Um, so be very specific what you're looking for in that workout and then hit it. So, and he was a big fan of isometrics, which is where I think the J. Schrader slash DB hammer connection comes in. And, The reason why I think is because DB has three different energy systems. He has your anaerobic one, Mm -hmm. which is up to nine seconds, your anaerobic two, anaerobic reserve, which is nine to 50 seconds. And then you have your aerobic system, which is anything after a minute. And so with his being a fan of isometrics, of which I am as well, to hit that Anaerobic 2 system, to help strengthen the Anaerobic 1 system, you would do 30-second ISO holds. So I think that's where the connection comes in. Now, if you know Jay Schrader's stuff, he likes five-minute ISO holds. That doesn't mean you can't break it up, but I think that's where the connection came because people just, as, an Ameri- as Americans do, we like to quickly generalize and dump things into one category and... Uh, that's where I think that's where that connection came. Um, so that's how he trained. That's how he saw things. And when you progressed, uh, that's when you would start to mix systems to confuse the system. No different than what DB does by throwing at new exercises. I mean, uh, Franz does. So you would do like a, a reactive squat, which is, you know, move the bar really fast. And then you could go out and do a vertical jump. Or a sprint, so your sprinting would be a rate workout, which is your speed. Um, Or you could do a power workout, move a bar really fast, and then weight it down, and then move it really slow. So that's how he saw the nervous system. So basically what he did is he simplified it into sections, which, again, people like to do. simplify simplified it for me so I can do this, and he broke that down really well. Well,
0: Wow. Yeah, that's, that's... Interesting that then he, you know, he's like, don't train anything together. And all of a sudden he's like, no, we're going to train stuff together. And, yeah. And do you, just I have it in my notes here too. Like, do you do you train athletes with with this sort of system from day one? And the reason I ask that is because, um, I, and I'm sure there's progressions built into the model in a way. But like from speaking with Derry Evely uh, when I saw him last. Like this sort of question came up, of is it really just variation in training that, that gives certain athletes a progression in their training? Like maybe they've just been doing such a thing for so long, but they just have built up this adaptive resistance suit that when you give them something new, a newer stimulus, that's just a variation in the training stimulus itself that's making their performance come back again or go up again. And then this other concept that if you introduce an advanced stimuli too soon to an organism, you kind of diminish the maximum benefit you could have got from that, that if you if you stuck with something that was a little more simpler and milked the gains off that and then kind of kept that silver bullet or golden bullet in your gun in terms of advanced stimuli that you could use later on in their development. So so the question there is like, do you think that, because some people say, oh, I, I did this and it's changed all my athletes and it's like, how long have you been doing it for? And they're like, oh, a few months or a year or something. And it's like or just they usually say I did this new thing and everyone got better. It's like, well, is was it the actual method or was it variation? And then the second question there is in terms of presenting a stimuli to an athlete, like, uh, do you think doing maybe certain things too soon can actually diminish the maximum benefit you could have got from that method if you'd maybe d- delayed the gratification of it?
1: Yeah, I'll start with your second question first. Yeah, I think there's timing is an aspect in training. Mm. Um, you got to make sure certain things are in place before you throw this new exercise at them. Um, so, uh, over-speed training would be a great example. If you've got someone who's got a, a posterior pelvic tilt, there's no way you should be doing over-speed training. Yeah. You've got to make sure that that pelvis is in a neutral or a safe spot uh, before you start pulling them because they're just going to naturally break when you pull them down the track. Okay. Um, so you've got to make sure that that's in place, and you, and you want to make sure that they're not crossing over when they run too, when you do overspeed training, because again, it's going to create a braking effect and it's going to inflame the IT band and the hip, something fierce. So you've got to make sure things are in place before you throw these variations at them. Um, the, the problem is everyone progresses differently and presents differently, and so that's really where the
0: art comes in.
1: The, the art comes in yeah. is you've got to watch. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so yeah, I think I think that's that's how you know you got to wait for things to be in place before you give them,
0: and give and, them what and, they want. And, and every athlete's timeline on that is obviously going to be individual because in terms of their organisms' different. So some yeah. athletes might be able to take on something more advanced. Sooner.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So to your first question, and I've talked, I just did another podcast with Joel. Um, I train based on weather. Um, so it gets cold here in the wintertime,
0: <laughs> so we can't in, go out and you're, you're in Chicago,
1: right? Yeah? yeah. And it's – so for me, December, January – this year we had a really warm February. It was awesome. We were actually out running in February.
0: Nice. But
1: then March and April were freezing and snowing, so we paid for it at the back end. <laughs> but for me, the wintertime is a great time to do isometrics. Um, and I think isometric strength is a key that is one – to me, that's that's one thing that really good sprinters have is good isometric strength. Yeah. Not-so-good sprinters don't have good isometric strength. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that we focus on in the wintertime. And if you go back to what DB says, he goes, you know, anytime it's cold, take them outside. That's when you should be doing, your drops, your plyometrics, and your isometrics, because that's when your body is stiff, it's cold, uh, you're tightened up already just to protect yourself and stay warm. So we'll go outside in the garage where it's cold. And we'll drop off our box and we'll do our box drops. Uh, And D.B. was big into box drops, not so much the plyometric. I think his ratio is six drop workouts for every one plyometric workout. So you learn how to absorb the force. And that's something that's worked really well for me is I don't do a ton of plyometrics or at least big-time plyometrics, uh, but we do a lot of drops.
0: Uh, do, Um, do Do you think that's to do with, like, dampening neural inhibition?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah um and then if you see in the book he has his big amt jumps which you know would seem like something you could do all the time that's where you're on a box and you have rubber bands over your shoulders and it accelerates you into the ground and then the people who are stepping on the rubber bands when you hit the ground they step out of the rubber band and then you rebound and jump up and there's no extra weight when you rebound up yeah. so you basically turn into a super ball
0: Yeah,
1: and uh that's something you do once or twice a year. I mean, we would do that two weeks out from the state track meet, and that would be it. did it work yet, lift them up like nobody's business, and they flew. Um, but that doesn't mean that's something you could do all the time because it took us two weeks to recover from that workout. So that would be our last workout, and we wouldn't train again until the state meet, which was usually 10 or 11 days out.
0: Just in terms of the acronym A-N-T, so what, what exactly does that stand for? Just, just for the listeners. Oh,
1: it's really long, and I don't remember it.
0: Huh. Uh, That's I any- think
1: Oxio is in there. Yeah. A U X I O. Myometric.
0: Some mad name. Yeah, something T at the end. <laughs> um, I, I mean, you were saying there his drop ratio to plyos is six to one. Was that it? It's four to
1: four to one or six to one? You know, so for every four workouts of doing drops, you would do one plyometric workout i stretched out to six i think six worked better for my high school athletes and we would do those workouts maybe once every 10 days
0: so you were also saying that he kind of looks at it through like you're either training for to get faster more powerful or strength and then under each one of those categories does he have like obviously uh like his favorite methods that he likes to utilize for each one of those qualities yeah um so if we took speed or fat or getting fast like what the things that you utilize there
1: i fly tens. That's my base workout is a fly 10. If it's warm out, if it's above 45 degrees, we're doing fly tens. Nice. Um, why 10? Because like I said, most of my athletes and I, and I have professional athletes and they still, you know, some football players, um, they still are always working for that 10 meter burst. Um, really good sprinters can double that i've had two sprinters in my career that could double their 10 meaning they didn't get slower by the if you cut that time in half you know and i have multiple beams so i do first 10 meters second 10 meters so i can see what's really going on um and then i think only two people in the his one person in the history of the world has been able to hit uh their fly 10 and repeat it three times in a row that's Usain bolt yeah uh So, at the end of the season, when I'm trying to get more speed endurance, we'll stretch it out to 30 meters. But initially, we stay at 10s for a really long time. And then you change the temperature. You know, running a fly 10 at 90 degrees is different than running a fly 10 at 100 degrees, which is different than running a fly 10 at 70 degrees. Your blood chemistry works differently at different temperatures. And you can take that into account. Like, your best fly times are going to be at 98 degrees, 95, 98 degrees outside Fahrenheit. I know you... Because if you told me Celsius, I'd have to convert that in my head. And I
0: have uh, to my it's 30, thir- 37.5 Celsius, I think. Is it? It's hot.
1: Yeah, is it, it's so- like if you're barefoot on the blacktop, you burn your feet.
0: Well, like n- n- ninety eight, isn't that? That's that's the internal heat of your body, isn't that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's thirty seven point five in uh, in Celsius. Anyway, continue. Fly tens and temperature. This is great stuff, by the way. Um, just in case you're wondering, so for listeners, we're on video, we're looking at each other, and. Chris is probably looking at me and he's like, it looks like I'm like looking away all the time. It's because I'm just writing notes upon notes. Yeah. <laughs> but continue, sir, continue.
1: Um, so just with the temperature variation of fly 10 becomes a different exercise because chemically, and yeah, you know, your body, the colder it gets, your body has to reserve things to stay warm and muscles are going to work differently. Yeah, yeah, chem- but at 98 yeah. 90 degrees, you're, you don't have to protect anymore and stay warm. So we plan it. You know, if I see a hot day coming up on the 10 day outlook, I'll tell everyone, hey, come on over. We're doing fly 10s today. Let's get some good times Um, and we'll go out. Uh, The Cardinals, did Buddy talk about this at all? The importance of the Cardinals actually train outside when it's really hot because it has a huge impact. On how the blood works and how the blood carries yeah, oxygen he, and he, it becomes their conditioning factor yeah and that's why the cardinals come out of the gate so fast every year and they're in much better shape than everyone else and then when the temperature cools in arizona they lose that edge because everyone starts to catch up to them
0: you probably weren't meant to say that were you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> he knows it uh it's a problem that they have um and you know buddy buddy will share anything
0: with you oh yeah i know buddy you
1: can't well. find a more open guy who will say Here's everything I know. I'm going to tell you right now. Here we go. Stop doing then,
0: fucking... Stop, stop doing lactic work. <laughs> football is a lactic aerobic. Stop doing lactic. <laughs> Why run you run 300s? <laughs> it's dumb. Stupid. I'm not going to let big lift my guys. Fucking broken wrists and fucking... I kind of sound like a half Buddy Morris, half Louis Simmons there.
1: <laughs> actually,
0: I don't sound like either of them. They're
1: not there. that different. They're not that different.
0: <laughs> so, all right. We got we got speed. You love know, fly tens. Temperature's a huge factor. What else? And, in terms of speed or getting faster, obviously, then that's that's an outdoor activity. What if it's snowing? Like, obviously, is there methods you're like, right? To speed? I want speed stimulus today, but we're in the weight room. Are you doing? Well, so if we're
1: inside, um, we'll do acceleration work. Um, so you can do like my basement's long enough where I can do a, a block ten. Cool. Um, and then I have you know then there's a there's about another. 30 feet where you can slow down and then I hang rubber bands off the ceiling and you grab a rubber band uh, and it's kind of like a brake. So you run in three, jump up in the air, grab a rubber band and it stops you. I know, it's crazy. Uh, but I don't have much space. Uh, if I'm with my track teams... Can
0: you, uh, can you describe that again? So what am I doing there
1: with the map? So it's kind of like an upside down tail hook for a jet landing on an aircraft carrier.
0: Yeah.
1: So if you're sprinting, and you want to get your good time. You're going fast, and there's not a whole lot of room to decelerate. So, off my ceiling, I hang jump stretch rubber bands. Oh, so
0: as like, I grab onto them, isn't you it? grab onto them. Oh, and okay, okay, them okay. Too. I thought, I thought, sorry, I thought you were talking about the little method where I was jumping. I guess you know, yeah. No, that's my break. No, that's, that that makes <laughs> sense. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, so in, in winter time, we do K box work, we do isometric work, we do acceleration stuff, and we do. You know, just, uh, just your push out of the blocks. Um, oh, what's the word Stu used for it? It's a perfect word. Uh, you know, your first step out of the blocks. It's, I can't think of the word he uses. It's a perfect – It's. Uh, but anyway, your, your drive out of the blocks. You know, your first two steps. How far – projection.
0: I, I, far? I, was just, I was just about to say he, he talks about three things acceleration, projection, rhythm, rise. So I was going to say that.
1: Yeah, projection. projection. So if you don't have a lot of space, you can work on projection, which if you look at the research, um, the fastest guys have the best projection.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cool. So for speed, we fly tens. Temperature is a big, uh, important part. Yeah, we can do some acceleration work. We have the space indoors. You're we saying wintertime, you like K-Box and ISOs. Um, in terms then of uh, power development, what, what are some of the what are some of the methods you'd like to utilize there?
1: Power development for what plane? Am I jumping or am I running?
0: Just support, uh, just going back to DB three categories of, of getting faster and more powerful. So
1: he has two different categories for power. He has reactive strength, which is you're going to move a bar as fast as you can, uh, up and down for a set amount of time. Again, either nine seconds or twenty okay. seconds. Okay. And you count your reps. And then he has a, a drop-off method where when you hit a certain time or a, a weight, you know when to stop. Yeah. And so it's called A-reg, auto-regulatory
0: yeah, I remember you speaking about system. Uh, just and it, it's a great
1: in, way to know when to quit.
0: Is the auto-reg different than between speed, power, and strength? Or is there an auto-reg for each, each trade of those categories? It depends
1: on what you're working. Uh, the rate is a higher number because it, it, there's not as much power associated. Um, and it depends on how many days you want to have before you come back. I think he figured out that if you drop, if you work to a six percent drop, uh, you could train once every four days in and six, see improvements every time. Is
0: that a six percent drop in any of those qualities? Speed, power,
1: Yeah, for for speed. For,
0: speed, um, for speed.
1: But I use that same six percent for weightlifting too. Um, and again, if if I wanted to take it out to a if I needed an eight-day rest, or I needed to come back and train in eight days, then you could make that number higher, up to like nine or ten percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that way, you're you're building the rest into what you're doing on that workout.
0: Did you say for speed, if you do hit that super it was four days off in between? Or yeah,
1: four days. So we would train Monday, Thursday, Mondays and Thursdays.
0: Yeah, yeah. So power, he say he's got reactive methods.
1: So he has reactive methods and he has reactive acceleration where you're actually throwing the bar. Okay. Which okay. is a little dangerous, but, uh, you know, you set pins up a certain way. So the the bar actually has to leave your hand or the implement has to leave your hand.
0: Focus. If I'm going to go out, I'll go out doing something dangerous. Might as well. Yeah. Something. Why not get my skull crashed? Yeah, yeah. Um... Great stuff. And then, so and you, you use the 6% drop-off too for some strength of yourself as well. As the yeah. Speed. And then so his his speed or his strength development stuff, is it just, are we looking at more classical stuff or does he have any particular methods? Well, he
1: likes isometrics to develop that base strength, but then he has what he calls myometrics, which is uh, a regular movement like a bench press or a squat or whatever. He doesn't do a lot of squats. It was a lot of single leg squats. Bulgarian squats, that kind
0: of stuff. Cool. I'm just making notes here strength methods, like pesos. It's great stuff. Chris it really is, I'd say. And um, so, when did you take the leap of faith? And let's say before you came across DB, were you just kind of utilizing, you know, your more standard, conventional training methods? Um, yeah. And then, like, did you just start to integrate some of this stuff and? And then realize, you, if I if I want to get the optimal results here, I gotta go. I gotta go all in.
1: Yeah, I did. I went all in. And,
0: and can you like maybe just briefly speak about like that whole process and, like what? So what, what I was are, at, I was doing uh, kind
1: of West Side Barbell type strength training in a traditional track workouts. You know, we're gonna do repeat two hundreds today. And we're gonna do three hundreds, and then we're gonna go squat and do all that. And I was getting some results, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, You know, we were doing okay. You know, we were getting kids downstate and track, and our football team was good. Um, You know, I'm I teach in an upper, it's not middle, it's an upper class community, Um, and so we're good at tennis golf and swimming. Oh,
0: you know, the very, country club very, sports, very
1: posh. Yeah. <laughs> if you saw the houses that I live around, it would stop your heart. Um, huge houses, gated communities. I'm not making this up. But you see nice really nice cars in the school parking lot.
0: Nice, nice. You know
1: that kind of stuff. And so, I'm not from this neighborhood. I'm from a very middle class uh, white blue collar neighborhood.
0: I was about to say blue uh, collar, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's uh, you know, I wanted to be good in football and track, the things that I coached, and so speed was the name of the game. Yeah. and You know, with DV, you know, he changed the paradigm of how you train, and you know, he had a reasoning behind it and why you do it. And I said, you know what? All right, I'm going to go buy an electronic timer and a uh, jump mat so I can measure the drop offs. And all right, let's. Let's make the leap. Let's see what happens. And you know what? If it sucks, we're not going to be any worse than we were before or any, you know, we'll still be decent but if this really works, we're going to be really good. Can you speak,
0: can you speak about that athlete that you spoke about? I'm not sure it was yourself. Maybe it was Dan, but I think, I'm not sure it was you saying that there was an athlete that only trained once per week and if he trained anymore, he got worse.
1: Yeah. Um, his name is Kahara Williams and, uh, so kind of how it finished out at my one high school was, uh, we did really well. We are now one of the top sprint teams in the state. Um, a bunch of white Hinsdale kids, uh, were beating everyone's butt, and you know, track is big in Illinois, so it's kind of a big deal. Um, and then a new foot and football team. I think we lost three games, four games in three years and we just ran by people. Um, and then a new coach came in and said, you know what, I don't like any of this stuff you're doing. I don't want kids running track. I'm going to do things my way. And they went back to the old powerlifting, and I said, well, you know what, then I'm not sticking around. And so I went to another high school, uh, York High School, which is an a internationally known track in cross-country school. Uh, their coach is Joe Newton, this legendary coach, uh, won 36 state championships in cross-country, a bunch in track. But they never had sprinters, so they hired me, and uh, I took my methods with me, and we had incredible success. I mean, we became a we had we were a national sprint powerhouse. So I had one athlete there. His name was Kahara, um, small guy, uh, probably 140 pounds, um, built to run, and but his body couldn't handle that much training, so. And, and how do I know this? Well, because I measure everything. Yeah. I watch him run. I measure his times, and I ask him how he feels. And he comes up to me and says, Coach, I'm I'm just not feeling it today. And I say, well, go home. And coaches will say to me, well, how can you do that? How do you know he's not bullshit? And, you know, I didn't mean to say that. I'm BSing and, you. Oh, know, uh, um, you,
0: can, you can swear away on this episode.
1: Obviously. Okay. Um. I said, well, if the kid is going to lie to me about training, then I don't want him here. You know, he's not – he's not here for the right reasons. You know, I'm not a babysitting service. Um, you know, his why is in the wrong place. Why he's here. Um, and so we said, all right, Kahara, let's cut it back to two days a week and we'll run you once in a meet. And he's still coach. I'm still not feeling it. And his times weren't changing. I said, all right, let's try one day a week. Uh, we'll run on Friday and we'll train on Tuesday and let's see what happens. Uh, and then his time started to drop. Um, I mean, he was running nine six point nine six fly tens. I started like one oh one. So that's a considerable drop. And so again, like we were talking about before we started recording, is uh, you got to look at your athlete and see what works for them and make those changes. Have faith that your athlete is honest with you and sharing with you honest information and. You, as a coach, using your wisdom and not your heart and not your your ego or your principles or philosophies to make changes, what's best for that athlete, so we can get to that ultimate goal, which was for Kahara to uh, to run in the Open 1 and then 2 in the state finals. So he wanted to be state champ, Then um, he ended up getting third in the 100 and fourth in the 200.
0: Do you look at vertical jump ring on a, on a daily basis to get some type of information where the nervous systems are?
1: Yeah, I do. Oh, um, I and we do our jumps differently. I call them slack jumps. I'm kind of really into that Franz Bosch. Uh, there's my Chicago accent there. Franz um, Bosch.
0: Uh, so like do you, uh, you mean like... You,
1: slack jumps. So we... Like
0: non-counter movement?
1: Jump no on. counter movement, but yeah. it's a very shallow jump. Um, and I'll take you down to the depth where you don't, I call it a double jump where you go down. And then before you go to push, you'll kind of bend down again where you're picking up the slack in your body or taking the slack out before you jump. So I keep it really, a really short jump. And if you look at the results of my teams or my athletes, we have a lot of kids that very easily jump over 30 inches, um, just by Getting doing slack jumps,
0: Chris, what, and plus it
1: what, gives me an idea of where the kid is at neurologically. Yeah. And said, so, "Man, you're like an inch and a half below your best." Yeah, why don't you just go home today? What, go play what, a video game.
0: What would your drop off be for that thing, Chris? So, like
1: um, the, again, that's going to be. I don't. I use that as a beginner, you know, an, an opener. Um, but I'm looking for probably. Oh,
0: inch and I, and a I half. know. I know. I use that as a beginner, but I mean, sorry. What I meant by drop off is like how how much would drop off. It's inch, inch, inch and a half, it yeah. depends on where you're at in the season yeah. and
1: what your previous workout was, yeah, because good. if I'm creating fatigue for you to bounce back at, maybe I want a little lower, but ballpark, uh, inch and a half.
0: Yeah, yeah. Chris, was it you who, I'm really sure it was, this is long before I kind of we you were, but was it yourself that wrote an article about the technique of the vertical jump, and it was to do with like a kind of a hip hinge maneuver versus more of a squat maneuver, and it was to do with the ankle complex? yeah uh could you maybe just touch on touch on that because and the reason why i ask is i I remember being at a a seminar one time here in ireland and it it was to do with leinster rugby and they spoke about that they saw the best results from trap bar deadlift jumps and they thought it was because more posterior chain got loaded up and then it kind of contradicted what your sort of article saying that you felt that if you opened up the ankle complex got more into a knee dominant position that you would jump better because it would correlate better to the to the, to the, to the jump action. If I, and again, you can obviously correct me on that. So I think
1: it depends on the athlete again, but a lot of times people jump with really stiff ankles. yeah They're locked at 90 degrees. And so when you don't break 90 degrees in that ankle, your glute has a hard time firing.
0: Okay. Yeah, okay. I- so
1: when, when you learn to go down and, and then jump up, Um, you're actually adding that spring back into the chain. So you've got a hip, a knee, and an ankle. If I remove my ankle from that equation, I would just cut, you know, a third of my power, right? Um, And so when we go down, and this is one of the things I measure on the vertical jump, is I try to keep a parallel relationship between my spine and my shins. Because once I lose that parallel relationship, I will initiate the movement with my lower back, and now I'm hoisting my body up into the air rather than driving with my legs.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think you are you're touching on that. Even like uh, you prefer even if they kind of shift it even off their heels to get that relationship from parallel shin to torso. Oh,
1: I try and keep their whole foot on the ground.
0: Yeah. But would you if they had to sacrifice that to keep a part of the relationship of shin to torso would you allow that
1: no I wouldn't make them go down quite as far
0: okay okay that's interesting because yeah, the, the way I would have seen it was there's hip dominant the jumpers versus more knee dominant jumpers and but I get what you're saying like if the ankle complex isn't working off of the you know, could take a 30 year potential and you
1: can be you can be a knee or hip dominant jumper but once you break that relationship and you start hoisting I mean you'll see on the on film, where their shin is going to stay at a certain angle, and you'll see the torso rise up. Yeah. And they're actually coming off the ground about a halfway through their jump before their legs actually lock. Yeah. The legs are just an afterthought at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whereas if you see someone who jumps 36, 40 inches, you will see this incredible leg drive where the torso and the legs are extending at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's a coordination timing thing. And I know uh, Altus is big on coordination timing, it's in vertical jump too. Yeah. it's a coordination timing thing
0: can you just briefly touch on auto rate too because one thing i loved in your pod, your podcast with joe when both yourself and dan were on it was that you know coaches would be amazed uh when you would say to well like how many runs do you do and you were like i don't know they'll let me know in the day
1: yeah um so that's why i, I have electronic timers i have all kinds um
0: which ones have you found to be most reliable or best?
1: So if I have, I, I have a free lab, I have a multiple free lab systems. I have a summit timer, which a guy by the name of Ernie, uh summit timing built for me. It's uh, a chronometer, you know, about the size of a cell phone, and it hooks up to two algae beams. And those are great for flies. It's, it's wired and I kind of like wired sometimes because I know it's connected and I'm not going to get strange Wi-Fi signals that knock me off. And then I just got a speed light about two years ago, um, which is phenomenal. Um, and that does, that gives you force velocity curves as you run through, you set the distance, you can build any pattern you want and time it. Um, it's got reaction timing. Um, it's got different ways to start, uh, so if I've got a group of people and I want to get through fast, I'll use uh, my summit timer. Uh, if I have to set up really quick, I'll use my free lap. But if I've got time to set it up and I want really accurate or different patterns, I'll use my speed light.
0: Nice. Goodness. I don't know we're coming up on time here, so I just want to finish up from the last one or two things. Um, first off, uh, did, did you ever find out who that Irish woman was who, who was giving you shit in D.C.?
1: No, I forgot. Uh, Dan might know. But okay. that was funny. Ditch. She, she was a track coach, I think.
0: I'll sort her out. Man, was she fiery. I'll find, I'll find out and I'll sort her out for you. <laughs> uh, just finishing up here, a uh, few little things I'd like to ask everyone. What would you say have been the biggest lessons you've learned so far, not only in your coaching career, but in life?
1: Uh, have a beginner's mind. Nice. Always go into new situations, and like I said earlier, compartmentalize what you know in the past and create a space in your head for a whole new novel idea, and don't jade the new information with what you know before until you've had a couple days to sit and chew over what you just learned, and and then go try it. And then after you've actually tried it, then you can go ahead and start mixing things up. So be patient. Uh, Be patient with new ideas, with new information. Uh, and be open to learning.
0: I think that's uh, like being,
1: don't defend. Don't defend Iraq. I call it don't defend Iraq.
0: I think being patient is huge. I mean, I, I interviewed Lauren lando there lately. He said he talked about being patient. Any of the sort of masters who I've spoken in any particular field that they are master in, um, they always they always come back to this concept of delayed gratification in terms of mastery. So, I think and I think, I think
1: another one is uh, don't be afraid to take the blame. Um, be responsible for what you've done. Um, when things don't go well, don't blame it on the kid. Oh, he's just not working very hard. It's, it's, you haven't communicated with them what you need. Um, you know, you haven't put them in a, a mental position to make those sacrifices or do those things. So be responsible, take ownership for, for your decisions and, you know, be, you know, control it, you know, do not so much control it, but own it.
0: What would, oh, your, no. what would your top advice be? I know you just said their patience, but for all the listeners now, and again, in terms of coaching or uh, life again, what would your top piece of advice be to anyone listening?
1: In general for life?
0: Anything at all, yeah. <laughs> pay, 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 uh, your, pay your kids to do stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Parenting is hard work, man. It oh, is hard. Listen. You know, you have your preconceptions about what you want them to do, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. Like, my daughter plays sports. Do you think she wants to train with me? Absolutely not. Nothing to do with it. Find, she'll find ways to get out of it. Um, and my son's even
0: worse. Um, you, can't force, you can't force that shit on you. Just, you just got to no, facilitate
1: you gotta let them. Let it work. be them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh I'm not what, much one to give advice to other people about how to lose their lives. Uh, it's a tough question. I don't know. Uh,
0: well, open well, mind. I mean, we we could flip it and say, what well, if you had to give yourself advice, if you could take yourself out of your body, what what advice would you like to receive? Or was there is there any particular moment in your life if you were like, God, I could have that, I could have done that piece of advice then.
1: I can answer that. I think uh, learn how to enjoy what you've gotten nice i'd uh, be appreciative of what you've gotten um you know like we'll, i'll be coming back from a state track meet and uh you know like this year i had a kid who's second in the 100 we were second in the four by one uh we had two really good performances and i had a kid i had two kids in the 200 one kid is not my kid i train him but he runs it in our school we were third and eighth and i'm driving in the car back well what am i going to do differently what did i screw up this year And I never had a moment to say, you know what? Most people would be ecstatic that this weekend happened this way. And they'll be writing about it for years with their family. It will be a lifetime memory. But I'm in my car beating myself up. I should have done this different. I should have done this different. Here's where I screwed up here. This is what I need to get better at. I need to find out more about this thing. So I think it's to take a moment and and be appreciative
0: of what you have and enjoy. Be gracious. Yeah, I think gratitude is huge. Uh, do you journal, Chris? Uh, mentally. <laughs> yes, I'm, just, I'm just wondering. Uh, last two here. So just what would your top resources be to any of the listeners? So that could be in the form of a book, uh, an audio program, videos, podcasts, a course. Uh, actually, uh, you, you do uh, some type of course. I've seen Cal Dietz a lady. So maybe you do want to touch on that too.
1: Um, Cal and I have a couple of things going we have triphasic for football which is a book that we wrote to train for football players that cal and i wrote together but we also own reflexive performance with uh holdsworth uh which is this uh, performance enhancing technique uh to get your muscles to work properly uh go to ReflexivePerformance.com and there's a whole web page on it we've got seminars We've got someone in the Netherlands right now. Someone wants us to come to Germany. Someone wants us to come to Finland. Come
0: so to Ireland.
1: I'll come to Ireland. Um, I was in Norway last year, and uh, they aren't the friendliest people.
0: I haven't been, so I can't say. But I mean, you know, a lot of darkness, a lot of coldness. Maybe it's just lack of vitamin D. Who knows?
1: Viking thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so.
0: Uh, any, so uh, I like, uh, like uh, I like like sure podcasts.
1: That's... You have a good podcast. Yeah. Um, Joel Smith has a good podcast. Um, so I just kind of search around in podcasts. It's a great way to kill time while you're listening and get new ideas. Um, I really like Franz Bosch's two books.
0: Yeah,
1: I think those are the two best books that I have read on training. Um, I think it's the most open-minded and objective look at running.
0: Have you ever sp- rather than clouding
1: sp- it with okay, you got to squat more.
0: Have you ever spoken to Franz personally?
1: So after uh, after we did the DB Hammer thing and paid him for answers, I did the same thing with Franz. Nice. So I have a whole bunch of email correspondence with Franz back and forth.
0: Great. Yeah, I, I, I've interviewed Franz and I've emailed him a number of times as well. So I know he's, he's a great guy. To, to,
1: great guy. Uh, oh, uh, and John Pryor, uh, who did all that work with him with the Japanese team, he's got a lot of really good ideas too. There's a lot of really good people out there.
0: How do you spell um, John's second name?
1: P R Y O R.
0: P Y O
1: R. He's a rugby strength coach.
0: So sorry, say say just spell it a little bit slower. I'm dyslexic. P R Y
1: O R. Okay. Yeah. Thanks,
0: million, that. so that's great. Friends, Bosch's books, podcasts is great, and then I'll definitely link up uh, your, um, your 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 uh, course that you do with uh, Cal and John's for sure. So I'll definitely link that up.
1: If people like my articles, I'm always looking for ideas to write. The hardest thing for me on writing is to come up with a topic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. Yeah, you've, asked, you've asked for it, Chris. <laughs> it is, this booker will not stop emailing me. Um, final, uh, final question and then just leave your contact information. If you could have dinner with five people dead or alive, who would it be and why? Five. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to go more, you can, but i say five.
1: I'd start with Jesus. Absolutely.
0: The man himself. Uh,
1: then I would have to go, I, I teach American history, so that's... Uh,
0: I absolutely love American history, by the way. I, I've, I, as an Irish person, I know all your U.S. presidents back-to-back.
1: I would go Abraham Lincoln.
0: Absolutely. Lincoln's a my one, it?
1: George Washington. Nice. U.S. Grant.
0: Wow, Ulysses.
1: Robert E. Lee.
0: Yeah, that'd be interesting with the two boys, wouldn't it?
1: And uh, Sherman, you know, there's an interesting point that's not brought up a lot in history. But after the war, and Grant was president, and Lee was president of University of Virginia. Yes. Yeah. Lee got on his horse and rode out to the White House, knocked on the door. Grant opened the door. This is back when the president answered the door at the White House, yeah, like, and they like, had like, a dinner like, together. That was like not Jefferson, recorded
0: in anyone's. Diary or anything? Yeah, like 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 Thomas Jefferson in the slippers. Apparently, he used to just knocked on the door and he answered there in his slippers. Yeah, they called that Paul Mall. So say that again. So Robert Lee just just went up and they just <laughs> went
1: over and talked to to Grant.
0: And they just had like an afternoon of just having the chats. Yeah, that's unbelievable, isn't it? And then
1: after that, Lee dies.
0: Yeah, he yeah he died pretty soon after
1: that. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So the Civil War is fascinating. World War, you know, U.S. history, all history is fascinating. It's I love just history. I happen to teach U.S. history and uh, it's fascinating. Just not, so, there's just, so many great stories.
0: Just out of interest, who, who is your favorite president?
1: Oh, Abraham Lincoln and then George Washington. What? Those my top two.
0: You wouldn't have Teddy Roosevelt there? No. No, I'm just, I'm just what about FDR? No. I'm just wondering too. Yeah, Lincoln. Lincoln's up there for me. All right. Lincoln's
1: number one. I think everyone. And the funny thing is, Lincoln was probably the most unpopular president in the history of the United States. His first two years.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. He 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 thought he wouldn't get reelected, didn't
1: he? He absolutely didn't think he was going to get reelected, which is why he had to pick Andrew Johnson, a Democrat from Tennessee. That's right. To be his running mate.
0: The only one of two presidents who ever was up for impeachment. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I know my U.S. history. Good history. Good yeah, job. I, I love. I I love. Uh, it's, like it's a fascinating country in terms of like you know it was an experiment. Everything was a was a was a feckin', um monarchy up until America and you know? all so and and the great sort of conflicts that that go on in, in America in terms of what the forefathers for for you know like happiness and liberty for all. It's like well, what about slavery? And it's like oh. Well, We'll deal with that later. Just leave a footnote, and it's like, oh, civil war six years later, or however later it was.
1: But if you want to read an interesting book on slavery, uh, read Empire of Cotton. It's about uh, the the first the globalization of cotton and how slavery made the world rich.
0: Yeah, pretty. Not
1: much. just the South, but the entire world.
0: All right, Chris. Uh, just leave us with your contact details for the listeners, and then uh, afterwards, just stay online for like thirty seconds, and I'll say my goodbye to you. Sure. Um, my website is
1: slowguyspeedschool.com. Um, it has my contact information on there. I have videos that I've made. Um, the DB Hammer stuff is on there for sale. Uh, reflexive performance is that yeah, RPR is the, the performance technique that we use. Nice. Uh, and those would be the two. And Track Football Consortium uh, is our biannual uh, consortium every year, twice are, a year. Are
0: you? Are you and Dan considering? I mean, I mean, you a podcast, are you considering putting all of your emails to DB together in a, in a
1: PDF? They're it's done.
0: Oh, it's, is that done?
1: They're they're up on uh, my website.
0: Oh wow! Okay, looks like you're gonna have some money coming your way. In <laughs> okay, listen, Chris, that was listen. Uh, that was absolutely awesome. You know, it, we, the training information was brilliant. The crack, the banter. You know, the cra- <laughs> we call it crack here in Ireland. It's funny. Well, we all we say how's the crack and you ever said that to someone not from Ireland? They're like what, what? What? What about a crack? And you are talking about drugs or something like that. But uh, no, that was absolutely fantastic, brilliant stuff. So guys, what an absolute legend! Uh, Chris Corfus is, uh, you know, an hour and almost an almost an hour and a half of just golden information, and. You know, an absolute gentleman, great sense of humor. Definitely going to have you back on if you'd like to come back on. Sure, anytime. Yeah, it'd be great. So, uh, again, just stick online for like 30 more seconds while I wrap up this episode. So, guys, thanks for listening. Definitely share this out when it's out and uh leave reviews on itunes and if you think anyone could benefit from this definitely uh definitely share it as i said on your social media outlets and be sure to reach out to chris and and check out his website and support him any way you can because he's doing great work there so guys thanks for listening i'll talk to you all soon take care and as i all say stay strong